Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I saw a deal today. It's a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's smiling. He's pointing like this. He says, oh, you don't lift weights? Well, happy Mother's Day to you, Dad. <clears throat> well, actually, to be grammatically precise, this is the day for happy mothers. Happy Mother's Day. And so if you're not a happy mother, then keep it to yourself, would you? (laughs) Because we're honoring happy mothers today. Uh, Yeah, you know, Mother's Day has a very real possibility of being a difficult day for a lot of ladies. And uh, it's it's a kind of a minefield for a preacher to get up and do a day-specific kind of sermon, and that's what I'm going to do today. I think maybe this is the first Mother's Day message that I've preached since I've been here because I've kind of steered away from doing that up to this point, Uh, but I want to take a little bit different slant on it today because I know that Mother's Day can be a little bit tough for some, Um, and actually, I don't want to just preach to one group of people that we need to be for all of us, and so I think one of the things that we have in common here is that all of us, if we are here, have mothers. And so let's talk about what we learned from our mothers, or what we could learn anyway. Um, And of all places, I want to begin, this is of all places in a Baptist church, I want to begin with uh, the backstory for a song by the Beatles, I know some of you don't know who the Beatles are or were, but a little group of guys from Liverpool a number of decades ago who turned the world upside down as far as the world of music. And uh, I've, I've been a Beatles, um, I don't know about a fan necessarily, but I, I've enjoyed getting into some of the musicality of what they wrote. Uh, and one of the songs that's long been one of my favorite Beatles songs was the song Let It Be. When I find myself in times of trouble, how's that go? Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Uh, And I always took that as a closet reference to one of their Catholic upbringings. And I should have known that wasn't going to be the case with the Beatles. Um, And recently I got a hold of the backstory to that song written by Paul McCartney in uh, 1968, I believe it was, and they were about to try to record the follow-up album to the White Album. And the band was in the early stages of breaking up, according to Paul McCartney, and he said that the other guys in the group had kind of begun to settle down uh, out in the country, and he was still living the wildlife of a rock star in the city. And uh, he began to sense that things were just spinning out of control and falling apart. He said because of that, he was not sleeping well. His mother had died some 14 years previous, I believe it was, and he just was lost in his life. And he said one night, somewhere between the curse of insomnia over a number of days and that just finally just passing out from sheer exhaustion, he said he began to dream and he was anxious in his dream. All of the stuff of his life was pulling over And he said, in his dream, his mother, whose name was Mary, uh, came to him and stood before him and just kind of simply said, 
let it be. Just, in other words, let it rest. Don't fret, just take it as it comes. And from that comes one of the most famous Beatles songs of all and one of the most famous rock songs of history. Um, And what I want you to get from that this morning is it's one of those lessons from a mother, even in a dream in this particular case. So I want us to train our thoughts together today to some of the lessons that we have learned from our mothers. I learned, for instance, I'm going to give you some of mine and then I'm also going to give you some because I threw this out to uh, social media last night and got some pretty good responses. Matter of fact, before I start with mine, let me start with this one. This is a direct quote of a mother and I'm going to read it to you directly as this person put it in here. No matter how big you get, this is what he learned from his mother, no matter how big you get or how mean you get, I'm your mama and I will always be able to take you down. Just so you know, that was written by my 31-year-old son, quoting his mother. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Here's another one from one of our church members. Their mother said, if you're ashamed for your mom to know, you probably shouldn't do it. I like this one. Be generous, be friendly, talk to everybody. My mom, I learned some things from her. I wouldn't necessarily put them in the spiritual realm, although clearly she taught me a lot in the spiritual realm. She taught me the value of money. A friend of mine owed me $5. This was when I was in junior high, I suppose. He owed me $5, and my mom was pushing me to get it back from him for some reason. And uh, so I was over at his house one day, and uh, I brought it up. And he said, you know, I don't have the cash, but he said, I, my mom's selling these. Do you want one of those? It's $5. I said, sold. So I took it home and I was proud that I'd made this great purchase. And I took it in and showed it to my mother and she just almost killed me. Because what it was, was one of those plaster uh, mold type things that had been painted. It was a skull with a German Nazi helmet on top of it <laughs> with a rat crawling out of the eyeball. And I thought I had made the purchase of a lifetime. (laughs) So mom taught me that day about the value of money. She also taught me to be a man of my word, to honor the commitments that I make. I learned that from her because without fail, through the years, I learned that if she said to me, if you don't stop that, I'm going to beat you. Now, you should know, she's not one of the modern moms who says that and then says it again and then says it again and then I'm going to count to four or I'm whatever. Mom said it once and then she was true to her word. And if I didn't do it, I was going to get a beating. So mom taught me a lot of things, just like your mom taught you a lot of things. And today I'd like for us to go to a much more substantial teacher. I'm not denigrating my mother or your mother as far as the lessons they teach. But I want us to go to that person in all of history that God chose to be the mother of Jesus Christ. That in itself needs to settle in a little bit for us. I know that as Baptists we get a little bit nervous talking about Mary because, you know, we we don't believe like some other groups do. 
Well, if we're not careful, we lose some great truth out of Scripture by being reactionary against what other people teach. So let's look together in Luke chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to be in Luke 1, and then we'll be in Luke 2, and then we'll be in John 19. So I invite you to get those places marked. Luke 1, Luke 2, and John 19. I'm going to turn this phone off so Jerry doesn't call me while I'm in the middle of this sermon. Here's the first lesson. What Mary teaches us is that the best place for us to live is in the center of God's plan. Now, I want to let that sink in. I want to add something to it as I run it back by you now. The best place for us to live, though not the easiest place for us to live, is in the center of God's will. We find this in Luke chapter 1, and you'll know that this is the birth narrative of Jesus, and Luke begins a number of verses before we're going to pick it up here. Um, But he gives us those early announcements, and he's... Already, God's already been doing stuff with Elizabeth and now we turn to where he visits Mary and we find in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26 these words in the sixth month. Now that is the sixth month of the miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth with John the Baptist. Verse 26, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then we could keep reading here. You know the story, so I'm going to kind of pull it together a little bit to save time. There is this back and forth about what's going on. The angel even says, Don't be afraid, for you found favor with God. That's verse 30. And we drop down now. We pick up reading in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be since I am a virgin? Now, I I want us to stop for a second and make sure that we get this. Now, she's betrothed. That's something of an engagement, we would call it. But we need to make sure we get this, okay? This part of Jewish history, of history, but especially Jewish history, is far different in their customs than what 21st century American society calls normal. All right, for this young girl, she's probably almost certainly a teenager at this point, for her to be with child, for her to step into this situation was extremely risky. Now, that's really not the best way to say it because that makes it sound like she chose the behavior. This was God's movement on her in her life and for her to be found with child as this promise says she will be, put her directly in death's path. We could go to the Old Testament and we find in Jewish law that one of the responses to a, um, what would we call it today, sexually promiscuous person uh, would be that they would be stoned to death. And so Mary is in a very bad situation, culturally speaking. Maybe that's part of the reason 
that the angel says, don't be afraid. Now, clearly, because the angel's in front of her, I mean, that would like freak me out. I suppose it would you too if all of a sudden an angel shows up and starts talking to you. But the message that Gabriel gives to her is not a happy message, socially speaking. And we need to get that before I move any further Clearly, this was God's plan. Clearly, God was positioning her in a dangerous predicament. Don't be so naive as to think God won't do the same with us. Now, you're not going to become with child uh, who's the Messiah. I can assure you of that. But I also can assure you that God regularly puts us in tough situations. At the very least, as Christian people called to be salt and light in a very dark society, we, play, we are placed in a tough situation. We're not just called to be Christians in a dark world, in a world that is marked by evil and a degeneration of mores and all of that kind of stuff. It's not enough for us to say, yeah, it's dangerous because we're Christians in that environment. We're called to go out into that environment and be salt and light. And it's dangerous. But it's also squarely in the middle of God's plan. And Mary takes this Look at her response in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, there's a lesson in that for us. Because we tend, okay, now I don't, I'm not talking about you now, probably talking more about me, but we tend to whine a lot when we get stuck in tough situations. Now, we put all kinds of nice little dressed up ways of whining about it. Well, you, you know, I, I need prayer, Pastor. Well, why do you need prayer? Well, because my life's tough. Okay, how do you want me to pray? Do you want me to pray, Lord, just turn on the heat until they turn back to you? That'll make you not want me to pray for you probably. Or do you want me to pray for comfort? How do you pray? That was last week's message. I'll move on from that. Mary's response When given a very clear statement, this is God's plan for you. This is your role in God's plan. And it's dangerous. Puts you in harm's way. Her response is, whatever you say, I'm good for that. So let me just finish this point by asking this question. Are you capable of trusting God enough to hold fast in tough times? If you know God's plan for your life, and I just gave you one of those big general arching plans, salt and light in a dark world. But God is regularly stepping into the down on the ground floor of your life, places in your life, and stirring it up because that's his plan for you. Are you capable of trusting him in those times? And here's my answer to you. I will answer that question for you. If you know God well enough, the answer is yes. If you know that God would never put you in a position that is not ultimately the best position for you, if you know that, it's a lot easier to take the garbage that comes. God says to you, like he did to me and some of these other guys on staff, you know what? I want you to pick up everything about your life and I want you to transplant to a place in southeast Texas because there's a church there 
or I want you to minister. And so these guys have done that with their families. They didn't know you when they got here. They didn't know that you were going to be a good church to take care of them. They didn't know you. So they responded to the call of God. You see what I'm saying with this? God may very well do that with you. Before this service is over, God may say to you, I want you to quit your job and I want you to go to the mission field. Harder than that, he may say, I want you to keep your job and go to the mission field, which is your job. If you know him, you can do that. But in order to know him that well, you have to walk with him every day. And it's in the walking with him every day that you begin to understand that the best place to be in your life is in the center of his plan for you. So that's the first thing that Mary teaches me on this Mother's Day. That the best place to be is in the center of God's plan, even though that's not always easy. Here's the second one. The second lesson that I get from her, I'm going to turn one page, two pages in my Bible to get to that text. Luke chapter 2, here's the lesson. And I really would ask you to hear me with both ears on this. Mary teaches us to process information in light of God's work and his revelation. You know, by now, if you know me at all, you know that I'm not a big fan of folk religion and bumper sticker theology. You know what I'm talking about. It's those nice little truths that we reduce down so that they fit on a bumper sticker. It's that churchy stuff that we throw out that has truth in it, but we use it often as a way of avoiding digging deeper. I could give you some examples, but I'm afraid I would offend some people because they're so much a part of how we live our lives every day. I'll give you one that I haven't seen in a long time, so maybe this is not yours. God is my co-pilot. Remember seeing that on bumper stickers a long time ago? You know the problem with God is my co-pilot? That's terrible theology. And this one's so old that you've heard this somewhere before, but if God's your co-pilot, then you need to give up the reins and let him be the pilot. But you see, it sounds good. It sounds a lot better than saying, I reject God totally. I haven't seen that bumper sticker lately either. Well, not in the church parking lot anyway. So Mary teaches us, and I'll show you what I'm talking about here in just a second. Mary teaches us to go deeper, to think. It's the argument that one of my professors gave, and I don't know if he was just talking to me or to the whole class, but he said, guys, we need to be thinking Christians. Exactly. Now, you know that our daughter is uh, due to deliver her first child and our first grandson in September. And um, that whole thing, you know, this time last year was all about wedding and planning wedding. Every conversation was about that. Now more and more it becomes about Lauren and, um, you know, what's going to happen in September. And um, it's pushed me back to re- remember a lot of things in, in our lives. Now, Teresa and I have three children. Uh, now this will be our second grandchild. So we've, I've personally been part of birth experience, you know, in the delivery room and all that kind of stuff. I've done my time on that. Thank you very much. Um, I'll go play golf. Call me when it's done. Uh, that probably won't fly, but... Um, 
But I've also sat in waiting rooms at hospitals waiting for mothers to deliver their children. Very inconsiderate mothers. I mean, some of us wait in those waiting rooms for hours waiting for this. And I've done that for some of you in this room today. And um, here, here's some of what I've seen through the years, just observation stuff, right? I love watching a mother and a father, especially the mother part right first, uh, as they hold that new baby. Now, this is true for, for sure the first few minutes, and probably even the first few hours, but it doesn't last a few weeks, okay? Because this is that look as a mom holds that new baby and looks down into the face of that child, and she's just awash with, oh my goodness, my life is so great, I've got this baby. Several weeks into that, that's gone. <laughs> but I love trying to figure out what is this mom thinking as she's looking into the face of that child. And usually it seems to communicate to me this child is the most brilliant child born in years around here. And my child has the ability to grow up and be president of the United States. And this child just fills me with love and I just can't even put my finger on the exact word for the emotions that I feel. The dad, on the other hand, I see this when a dad looks into the face of that new baby as he's looking in, this is going to cost me a ton of money. (laughs) All right, I want you to take that and I want you to turn it to Mary. Given the lead in to the birth of Christ that we find in Luke chapter 1, What do you think Mary was thinking as she held baby Jesus? We pick up this story in chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 15. Now this is after the angels had visited the shepherds, which is a whole other sermon, I'm sure. But when the angels, verse 15, when the angels went away from them, that is the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another... Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I'm sure that Luke cleans that language up some for us. Imagine being out on the hillside, uh, and these are rough guys, these shepherds. They, they, They don't live in town with real people. They live out in the fields with sheep. And they respond to what the angels have told them and they say, let's go into town. We've got to see what it is. Verse 16, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I bet that's true. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What must Mary have been thinking? Go back this afternoon when you have a chance and read the first chapter and the second chapter up to this point. Because Mary has been the recipient of some very divine stuff. And as she, this teenage girl, sits in that stable looking down into that manger at the face of this little baby that is hers. 
All of those thoughts had to be swimming in her head. Make sure that we get all those thoughts. What she has been told is that she will be the one who will give birth to the nationalistic hope of the people of Israel that has been brewing for centuries by now. And she must sit there looking down. You talk about seeing only potential in a baby. She must have known that. And then these shepherds, these smelly guys from the hillside come in and they're talking about angels who came and announced this. How else could they have known about this baby? Scripture is clear. And Mary pondered these things. She chewed on them. And then we get another similar event in verses 41 through 51 of the same chapter. Now Jesus is a child and he's grown some. And so they head to Jerusalem. This is verse 41 through 51. I'm just going to read verse 51. You know the story. They go for the feast. They come back uh, and Jesus is left behind and they freak out about that. And even when they find him, they scold him. And Jesus' response is a typical overachieving smart aleck kid. Well, you should have known that I would be about I don't think he said it that way. But if he's my son, I'd have taken it that way. Verse, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. Think with me about all the times that Mary must have pondered the activity of this son of hers. We flash forward from this through the gospel and we find this son of hers at a wedding and the wines, oh wait a minute, this is a Baptist church. The, the, the grape juice has run out. And so what does Mary do? What does Mary do? You know the story? If you don't know the story, go read it, okay? Jesus takes at somebody's suggestion and water's turned to wine or grape juice, whatever fits for you. What do you think after that event and after that happens and the guy in charge goes, man, well, you saved the best wine for last. Imagine Mary as she sits back because we have enough evidence here in just two chapters to see that Mary's a thinker. And Mary doesn't just accept this stuff and then reduce it to a bumper sticker and move on with her life. She thinks on these things and she ponders these things and it takes her to the depths of the implications of her son. What do you think she thought as she received word, whether she was there or not, very easily could have been there. She receives word that her son came walking across the water during a storm. Scriptural evidence seems to point to Mary being a thinker and a ponderer. How long has it been since you sat back and just thought about the incredible stuff that Jesus does? I was working towards getting ready for this. And it pushed me to my uh, walks in Israel. 
And some of those places that we went where some of the miracles occurred, some of the teaching occurred to that place. As the Sermon on the Mount is a special place in me, some of my terminal work and education was done relative to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in particular. And so when they took us to this hillside above the Sea of Galilee, and of course there's a you know, there's a big shrine there, but you know, off to the side, we got off to this, this field, this natural amphitheater. As it dives down to the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and, and I envisioned Jesus as he stood there and taught and people just all over the place because they were drawn to him. And scripture says that as he taught them, they were amazed at the authority that he carried in the way he taught. And I thought back from that to some of the great teachers that I've had the privilege of sitting under and some of the great preachers that I've had the privilege of sitting under. And I thought about how Jesus' teaching stretches through the centuries, through the mouths of willing vessels today to remind people of the stuff that Mary pondered about who he was. How long has it been since you sat back and just thought about the privilege of being a child of God? And if you're an unbeliever here, if you don't know Christ, the way we talk about being saved, if you don't know about that and you're a little skeptical about all that, uh, first of all, I want you to know you found a good place to come and flesh that out. We're going to give you space to be skeptical. I'm good with that. But let me just encourage you, if that's you, you're not sure about all this Jesus stuff. Let me encourage you to be a thinker and to be a ponderer. Don't just hide behind a label. Well, I'm agnostic or I'm skeptical. Okay, that's good. But be an honest one. And think about it and process who this Jesus is and the claims that are made. Don't take the bumper sticker stuff that Christians throw at you. But dig deep and let him be who he is and just see if it's not true. Most of us in here are believers, though. We, we buy into what we have seen here. And a lot of the reason we do is because we've recognized in our own lives the reality of who Jesus is. But if we're not careful, we buy into equally this surface-level Christianity. You know, we give Paul a lot of credit in Christian circles, the Apostle Paul, partially because he wrote most of the New Testament or half of it, or pretty close to that. So we should probably give him some credit. But one of the things we like about Paul is the depth of his theology. Do you think he just got a lightning bolt from heaven and all of a sudden had all these deep thoughts about God? Paul's a thinker. So don't buy into any approach to Christianity that says just park your brain and be a lemming for the rest of your life. Mary teaches me to be thinking and to be a thinking Christian. She pondered these things. So quickly now, lesson number three from her, and this is over in John chapter 19. This is the other end of the earthly life of Jesus. Not the birth narrative, but the death narrative. And in John chapter 19, at the crucifixion, we find this in 1925, this simple statement. The last part of verse 24. So the soldiers did these things 
But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Mary the thinker. Mary the ponderer. Mary the disciple of her own son. Now stands at the foot of the cross and watches her firstborn. That's a little weak. Her miraculous, divine firstborn. As he dies the horrible death of a criminal at the hands of a select few government authorities and Jewish religious authorities. What must have been going through her mind at that point? Surely she would have flashed back because she's fully Jew, Mary was. She had to think back to those promises that were prophetic. This is the one that we have been waiting for. And God has come over you and you will bear a son and he's not going to be like any other son. And yet she stands at the cross and sees that son die a terrible death. Labeled as a criminal. Maybe she thought through those childhood experiences of him at the temple with those religious leaders holding them spellbound. Or the flight to Egypt to save his life as a child. And maybe at this point she thinks back and wonders if it was all for naught. It's a good time to fall apart if you're prone to fall apart. How do you handle yourself when you fall apart? Because you all know by now that if you're not currently in a crisis, there's one coming, so you might as well buck up for it. And when life around you starts falling apart, what do you do? I find it interesting that Mary surpasses the commitment of those other disciples. Almost all of them, not all of them, but almost. Because they've run. Because it's dangerous. But Mary, as we would expect in a mother, stands fast and stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son die. There's a lesson for that in us. How deep is your love for Christ, really? When times get tough, does your love for him wane just a bit? A bit? When there's a threat in taking a stand with him, is it easier to walk away and be somebody else? So let me bring this to a close. For those of you who are mothers, we hope that whether you're happy or not, it is a happy Mother's Day for you. But more than that, I hope that it's a day for you, that you're reminded that you leave a spiritual legacy behind. We should all, those of us whose mothers are alive, we should make sure that we honor them appropriately on a day like this. Um, so let me give you my bias, okay? I hate greeting cards. I, I don't mind getting them. I hate buying them. That's a racket. You know that's a racket, don't you? $14 a card. I don't know what it is. 
I don't even look at the price anymore because it just makes me mad when I do it. I, I'm thinking, I could just tell her I love her and she gets it anyway. But nevertheless, okay. so many of you have given cards today, okay? Don't you hope, guys, don't you hope your wife doesn't ask you what the print inside of that card said? <laughs> See what I mean? It's a racket, but we're bought into it. So I'll go buy her a card. Okay, I love what a friends of ours done. They don't, they don't do the buying cards thing for each other, husband and wife. They go to the card shop together and they look at the cards and they read them and say, okay, if I was going to buy you one, this is what it is. And they read it and then they go out the door. They still got money. See, there's, there's some value of spending money. <laughs> All right, so here's my encouragement to you. Okay, I want to give you something to take home with you. Um, if you did a card, that's all well and good. But I would encourage you, whether you've given a card or not, to do this. I want you to spend some time thinking about the things that your mother taught you and write them down. And if your mother's not with us anymore, then you thank God for what she taught you. And by the way, she doesn't have to be a good person or a good mother to have taught you stuff. Some of the best things we learn are the ones of how not to operate in life, right? So think through. But if your mom is still alive, or you can contact her, either send her that thing that you write out or call her and share it with her. And for those of us, there are always, this is one of those things that I want to make sure that you get. Some of us, not me obviously, but some of us are not mothers, um, so here's a deal of that social media thing that I put out last night stuff you've learned from your mother I want to share this with you and give you a challenge if you don't have children of your own God regularly gives women who honor him with their lives spiritual children and they are a gift from God to you <coughs> Case in point, 41 years ago, my brother started dating a girl, and that girl hooked up with my mother at a point that 41 years later, this is what Demi said of my mother last night in response to the uh, appeal that I put out. Demi said, you have one of the best mamas. I love her so very much. Thanks, for sharing her with me. Ladies, 41 years from now, somebody ought to be able to say that about you. Be merry to them. Honor your Lord in the lives of those people that he puts in your life and they become your spiritual children. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask you to help us to be thinking Christians who fall deeply in love every day with you. Help us to be effective as spiritual parents. We ask that you'd put us in position to be used for your kingdom's glory in this this community. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.